This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. Good morning, everybody. Can you push me off, then? Good morning, everybody. How are you doing this morning? How's about you lot this over here? Say good morning to that lot over there this morning and vice versa. And say good morning back. Fantastic. (laughs) What's the most powerful word in the world. We all know what the most powerful name in the world is, don't we? There's a name that's above every other name. What is it, folks? Jesus. <laughs> what, what was that? The name of Jesus. But what's the most powerful word in the world? What's the most powerful word in the world? And so this is a kind of a thought that I don't know, in my random confusionness sometimes, I think that kind of, I think, what's the most popular word in, the, in, word in the world? So I started to like, do you know what the most universal word in the world is today? Anybody know what it is? In every different type of language, it means the same thing and it's said the same thing. Taxi. <laughs> Taxi is spelt differently but pronounced the same pretty much all over the world taxi in welsh t-a-c-s-i in english t-a-x-i you know it's the most universal word but the most universal word or most universal sound and there was some sad kind of research people that went uh, to find this word and i can officially tell you today that the most Universal sound and the most popular word in the world is, and wait for it because it's very, very popular in Wales, the word is, huh? <laughs> U-H. Across all languages, across all cultures, the word, huh? Means the same. So can anybody help me understand this morning when your kids go, huh? And we correct them by saying, or when someone asks a question and we want, to, uh, we want them to repeat it again, instead of saying, excuse me, could you say that again? We go, oh, no, we don't do that. We go, how do we go? Huh? What does it mean? What does the word huh, actually mean? Well, it's actually asking someone to repeat something to you. It's actually a question, isn't it? It's actually a big ask. Huh? We're wanting somebody to repeat it. In fact, the world is full of very, very famous asks, is it not? According to JFK, we are to ask not what your country can do for you, but... Indeed. One from my childhood, a very, very big ask in the orphanage where young Oliver got up with his bowl and walked all the way to the master of the house and said, What? (laughs) What? Please, sir, may I have some more, said Oliver Twist. Or Hamlet asked to be or not to be 
That is the question, whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles, said Hamlet. But we all know that if we don't ask, we don't. Oliver ended up running around the orphanage at dinner time because he asked. But if we don't ask, we don't get. One of the most popular questions that's asked of life sometimes, isn't it, is why is there so much suffering in the world? As a minister, as a pastor, it's probably the most popular question I am asked by people that are far from God and don't even sometimes believe that he exists. They say to me, Phil, if there is a God, how is there so much suffering in the world? And the most popular question that's ever, ever been asked, ever, in the whole history of time, I'm sure, is the one question. And this question is usually asked in the car, on a long, long journey, or on the bus. And it's normally asked by people that are around the age of three to seven years of age, as they are sat there in the back of the car, and you've only just clipped them into the seatbelts, haven't you? We've only just gone down the end of the driveway, put the indicator on and turn left. But those little perils end up by asking the question, are we there yet? Questions, questions, questions. Why this? Why that? We all ask questions. But the question I want to ask is this. Why is it? Why is it the older we get, we tend to ask fewer questions? The inquisitiveness of a child's mind is something that's unique, don't they? They ask, why this? Why is that? Someone passes away, where have they gone? They say, have we got there yet? They say those kind of questions, particularly when they get older. Where did I come from? How are babies made? All of those kind of questions that we've got to answer. The innocence of a child's mind and their creativity and their thirst of knowledge, they ask lots of questions. And the question I want to ask you is why is it when we get older, we ask fewer questions? We seem to ask fewer questions of ourselves. We seem to ask fewer questions of others because we don't want to sometimes impose on them. We think, shall we ask them for a lift or shall we ask them to do something for us? But our default is to sometimes turn around and say, I'll, 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 I'll do it myself. I, 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 I won't ask them. I'm, I'm putting them out. And quite often when it comes to our God, the creator and sustainer of our universe, the one who speaks and stars are flung into space. Why is it so often that as part of that growing up process, we seem to ask so few questions of God on occasions? If you don't ask, we don't get. My text this morning is taken from Matthew chapter 7, and verse 7. If you've got your Bibles with me, can you turn to the Scriptures? And it starts with this powerful word, ask. And the Gospel writer Matthew writes for us about Jesus when he was here on earth, and he says these words, quoting what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 12 says this, Ask, 
and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. Okay? Can I read that again, just so we're clear? Do to others what you would have them do to you. That's not do others before they do you. It's do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. I want to focus on that little phrase that's there at the end of verse 11, which says, your Father in heaven gives good gifts to those who ask him. Turn to the person next to you and say, when did you ask him last? Go on, turn to the person next to you. It's a rhetorical question. I don't want you to answer, but hopefully you will be asking yourself, when's the time you asked him last? The title of my message to you today that God has laid on my heart for you, and this has been uh, prompted by uh, Luke Morgan's wonderful message that he spoke to us as a church uh, last Sunday. Did you enjoy that message from Luke? What an incredible message. And it was stirred by two things. If you've not heard it, can I encourage you to go and download the podcast and, and listen to Luke's message from last Sunday. And the reason I was um, uh, spurred, if you like, to preach this message is this message has been prepared three, four years ago. Two-part message. Um, and I've never preached it. And I've always said, Lord, you, you know, you've got to show me when this message is to hit our church. And when he was speaking last week, when Luke asked, sought, and knock. And I want to underline what Luke said last Sunday in, uh, in this teaching. Because Luke did not accept no as an answer, did he? He was turned down by the university. And most people would just accept it. But he is in Leeds and settled in yesterday and all's well in a very, very small dorm that is very, very small, <laughs> looked quite uncomfortable, but he's going to be spending the rest of his term and the, hopefully, God willing, the next uh, few years of his life learning there because he asked. And the power that was in his message that really spoke to me was his refusal to accept the no decline from the university. He's the only guy, uh, do you know anybody else has done that? That having been declined by the university after having in his ear have results and they said that he phoned up and petitioned them to take him. I love it because if you don't ask, you don't get. The Bible is full, full, full of people that asked. In fact, if you read the Gospels, asking is what it's full of probably more than anything else. Blind Bartimaeus cries out he's lost his sight. 
And he's crying out, Jesus, you son of David, have mercy on me. The leper comes to Jesus and says, if you can, you can make me clean. The Roman centurion, the one who Jesus said that greater faith is there not in the whole of Israel. He came to Jesus and asked. The father of Jairus comes and asks Jesus to raise his daughter from the dead. Even in his closing hours of life here on earth, before Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, with his arms stretched out, the thief on the cross turns to Jesus and asks, Will you remember me when you come into paradise? Even the woman with an issue of blood in Luke's gospel, even she thinks of asking. (laughs) And she thinks to herself, if I can get close enough to Jesus, if I can just touch his garment... I'll be made whole. She understands that there's such power in Jesus Christ that she doesn't even need to ask. She can just think of asking and come and touch Jesus and he will meet the need. But why is it so often that in our lives we are so slow to ask? Is he going to give us a stone? That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount. If we ask him for fish, is he going to give us a serpent? If we ask him for bread, is he going to give us a stone? How much more? How much more, says Jesus, that he's longing for us to just ask? And if for some reason, maybe as part of growing up and coming to adulthood, just like we are in the natural that we don't want to impose, Maybe we think God's too busy for me today for me to ask and come and to make my request known to him. Let's pray, shall we, as we turn to God's word. Father God, we thank you for your word. A lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Lord, as children in Sunday school, many of us have learnt that text from Matthew 7, 7, to ask and to seek and to knock. But Lord, I ask today by your Holy Spirit that teaches us and leads us into all truth as we open up your word today, will you give us a new, fresh revelation of the heart and mind of God so that we can realize today that you are our Abba Father and you are our Dad and you long that we come to you. You're never too busy. Never have ears that are closed to our needs. In fact, you tell us to come boldly, O God, to you and make our requests known to you. And yet so often we don't. So God, open up our hearts so that we might receive your word and that it might might find good soil in our hearts today, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I think, I think that one of the reasons that we don't ask God is the primary reason that we don't ask each other. We don't ask each other to do stuff for each other sometimes because we think we're putting the other person out. And in truth, 
We don't really know that until we ask. But what it is we do that's the killer blow is what we do is we make an excuse on behalf of the other party. That's what we do in our minds. Think about it. Quite often we don't ask someone to do something for us because we think we will put them out. We actually think, oh, well, they've got plenty to do. They're too busy. You know, if you want something done, we've got to ask a busy man. That's what this saying says, isn't it? And so often we think that the people around us are so, so busy that we don't have time to ask. But we make excuses. And I want to return to the scripture in John 5 that Luke shared with us last week because I find this scripture fascinating. The reason I find this scripture fascinating is one of the only occasions in the Bible, very, very few occasions in the Bible, where someone gets healed when they never asked. Bartimaeus asked. The leper asked. The Roman centurion asked. The father of Jairus asked. The thief on the cross asked. But the man at the pool of the Bethesda never asked. Have a look at the scripture with me. Turn to me to John chapter 5, verse 5. I'll read the passage again. And you see if you can spot the ask. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches, five colonnades. That was a great point from Luke last week, wasn't it? Eh? We hide from the sun. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, Blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool, stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. That's an amazing pool, isn't it? That is a phenomenal scripture uh, just there in itself. Now a certain man who there had been, uh, who had an infirmity for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, Jesus is asking him, do you want to be made well? Now what's the logical answer to that question? He's lame, been there for 38 years. If somebody was lame and it was you and you'd been there for 38 years, what would your, your reply have been to that question? Yes. Quite simply, isn't it? Yes. And quite often, we don't even respond to that. But follow me in the scripture. What does he respond with? Instead of a yes, verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another one steps before me. Instead of replying with a simple yes, this man gives an excuse. Gives an excuse. How often when God wants us to just turn to him, instead of just asking and instead of when he prompts us, how often in our lives do we instead of just saying yes, do we come up with an excuse? How often do we do that? How often this week have we come up with an excuse? You know, to pray in faith for the situation with John, where John and Pat are at this moment in time. I know John is desperately unwell. I know that. I know the facts of it, that he is in intensive care right now. And that he's desperately unwell. I know his age. 
and logic and facts would speak into my mind and come up with excuses, wouldn't it? But I believe that my great physician heals the sick. I believe this morning as we have prayed in faith, I believe that the work is done right now. That if we pray and if we ask and make a request known to him and come with boldness, the will he not answer? But instead we come up so often with excuses. And we come up with all kinds of logic and we turn to Jesus and when he wants to just say yes to us, we come up with Oh, well, you see, it's the, it's the pool and somebody else gets there first. And we come up with a whole range of excuses that are in this scripture. The scripture, or the excuse of the others that's here. That God can do it for other people. He just never does it for me. The excuse that other people get there before me. Lord, you did it for him. Why can't you do it for me and do it now? I remember Mike praying in church one Sunday and asked the church to pray that his house would be sold. And the house had been on, it, on the market for some time and it, and it got sold just like that. And about two years later, I'm putting my house on the market and I'm thinking, it worked for Mike, it worked for me. And I say, can we just pray for this as a church? And my, it took two years for that house to sell. And it's easy for me to get into that excuse mode, isn't it? You did it for him, why can't you do it for me? Instead of just turning to Jesus and leaving it with him and saying, Lord, I believe you can do this, I'm just going to come to your yes. Verse 8 of John chapter 5. Even when he comes with the excuse, even when... The man at the pool of the Bethesda says, while I'm coming, another one gets there before me. Jesus still answers his deepest need and says to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. The title of my message this morning as I said to you already, is the power of asking. Most people that we read of in the scriptures in Luke's gospel, they all come with an ask. I find it very, very interesting that in this one occasion, God answers or Jesus answers a prayer without being asked. And I wonder, there's no theology behind this, but I just wonder if we were to go through the gospels and see how many times Jesus um, meets someone's needs without asking, like this, compared to Jesus meeting someone's needs when they ask, and we've got a huge body of ev evidence in that in, in that, of that in Scripture. If I was to ask you to take some odds and to look at statistics and calculations, would you prefer to be a person who, like the man at the pool of Bethesda, sits around and waits for God to do it, hopefully, or would you prefer to become an asker? and to turn to him and ask. Hands up if you think that it would be better for you to be an asker than to sit around. Okay, there's half the congregation so far. Uh, none of you believing for a prayer? None of you wanting God to intervene in a situation this morning? How many of you think you should just ask God to respond to that situation right now? Put your hands up. Interesting. And those of you that think you should just sit around and let God be God and 
What's to be is to be. Que sera, sera in Hebrew, I think that is it. How many of you think we should do that? Not many hands going up. So why is it we don't ask? My first message to you, this is two-part message. The first part is the power of asking is, first of all, I want to focus on asking God. And I want to look at three areas of asking God. And then the other thing I want us to do when we're together the next time is to look at how we ask others. And we know that in our lives, the royal law or the great commandment that was sent to us, the great commandment, you know, when the rich young ruler comes, he says, which is the greatest commandment? What should we do? Jesus Christ answers and says, the greatest commandment is this. And he wraps it up in one commandment with two parts. He says, the great commandment is this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. And we know as Christians, and a lot of you have heard this before, God wants us to get relationally whole and to be relationally strong, both vertically, God and me, and horizontally, me and you. Loving God, loving each other. And so I want to contextualize around that royal law or that great commandment, how we ask God and how we ask others around us. So can I ask a question for you first of all? When did you ask last? When did we really come and ask God? I want to do three things if we can this morning, three key things that we need to do in approaching God to ask. And can I encourage you as well, you know, if uh, uh, we refer quite a lot to the podcast resources that are available at Church here of other messages, uh, Ian spoke a really, really powerful message on how to get our prayers answered some years ago. Forgive me, I can't remember what the title is. I tried to look back and, uh, and, and find it, uh, but I can't remember what you entitled the phrase where you were discussing Ian. Help us out here. Can you remember what it was called? Yeah, there we are. Anybody else remember? But he, got, he brought the principle of the legal contract that's between God and us on how we have the right to be able to ask God. It was a superb message, um, Ian. Um, clearly, it didn't have a superb title. Otherwise, I would remember it uh, today. But could I encourage you to listen to that podcast? Because that would help us to process some of our thinking around sometimes why we don't come to God and ask him. And I, can I commend you, Ian? That message transformed my life. I have had more prayers answered since listening to that message than I've ever had before because I've got the truth of the understanding of how I come to Jesus, uh, to God the Father through Jesus Christ as a result of that. So now I tell you, I ask all the time. Because if we don't ask, we don't... The first thing we've got to ask is, we've got to ask questions. I know that sounds sensible and practical, but what I mean by questions is sometimes it's the fact that we're asking questions that's the important thing, not the specifics of them. We talked earlier on about children being in the car and their young, pliable, creative minds that want to ask all sorts of questions of us. 
And I think it's interesting that Jesus teaches us that unless we come to God as one of these, in the innocence of our childhood, because there's something about the simple faith that the child has, and that we had when we were children, that gets messed up in the complexity of life, is it not? Does life get complicated, and do we come up with all kinds of excuses? And I found that in my life, the reason I am probably asking more of God is probably because I'm asking more questions of Him. Some people say that we shouldn't question God. I don't see where there's any theology for that, okay? I'm not questioning His authority. I'm not questioning who He is in that sense of it, okay? It's you know, the Bible says us that, you know, the fear of God or the respect of God is the beginning of wisdom. We get that. But I am allowed to ask God, why is stuff going on? And the reason I know I'm allowed to ask that is the Bible is full of people like Moses and Abraham and Jacob and Zechariah and loads of people that went and asked God, what's going on? Why this? Why that? Why am I going through this situation? And sometimes the power of asking God is something that has a divine act on our life. You know, there's two hand signals, or there's two, you know, if we've got a question, there's two gestures or two or three gestures that we can use, isn't there? If you wanted to ask a question right now in the middle of the room, how do you think you could do that right now? And give me a gesture that you'd want to ask a question. There we are. Four of you have already done it. You've just stuck your hand in the air. Isn't that amazing that this is an universal sign that we could say... I've got a question. But there's another sign that's about a question, isn't it? And you'll see it sometimes if you're around a room, some of you that are involved in facilitation, you'll see somebody do this gesture, won't you? They'll put their hand on their chin like this, they'll frown up, and am I asking a question, folks? Am I asking a question by that gesture? I'm asking a question of myself, aren't I? And some of us, instead of going to God with this, we come to God with this. We try to pursue the thought, we try to work it out for ourselves. Instead, what's required of us is that we put our hands up. Or can I ask you maybe to put your other hand up and to ask God like this. And then maybe to get to this position and ask God that we can use our very body to reflect that position with hands raised high and with our knees down and say, God, will you help me at my point of need? I am struggling with the situation about my job. I'm struggling with the situation with my boss. I'm struggling with the situation about work. I'm struggling with the situation about what dishwasher or brand I shall pick on Monday. I am struggling with all kinds of questions. Tea or coffee, what shall I do? Shall I ask her out or not, guys? Ask her out. If you don't ask, you don't get. You don't get. I love it. Ivan never asked Brenda out. Do you know that? One of the founding pastors of this house. He never asked her out. He just said, are we going out? And he asked her, took a great move. She was telling me in the car this morning uh, that uh, the first occasion they were on church and he said uh, they, that they met at church. This is lovely. Say, awe. Ivan and Brenda met at church and they, they met there and she thought he was a very, very handsome young man and he obviously thought she was cute. And so do you know what he did? He said, um, fancy going for a walk. 
Good move, innit? Hey, smooth. Fancy going for a walk. And Brenda, in her innocence, thing, he just wants to go for a walk. And Ivion is thinking, I might be in here. <laughs> and guess what she said to the walk? She said, yes. And they went for a walk, and they spent the first day together, and it was lovely. Do you remember that day, Brenda? Ooh, look at it. There's a twinkle in her eye. Can you see it? That he asked... And then he made an assumptive thing. He was going for a job interview that week. And do you know what he did? He said, do you want to come to the interview with me? I mean, how many of you guys would do that? <laughs> you know, how, do you want to come to the interview? With, I don't know how that went, Brenda. Do you want to come to the interview with me? I'll tell you what, you hang around outside in the cold. I'll go in and see if I can get this job and then we'll come out. Up. I don't know what has happened. Maybe Brenda had responded from the day earlier and is thinking, I might be in here too. And so it continues. And then he came in with a killer blow after the interview. There's nothing like a boat and water, is there? Nothing like a boat and water. That sound of it all, it's so romantic. I remember taking Ruth punting once. That was a bad idea in Oxford. <laughs> ended us in the trees and everything else like that. But it was fun and we remembered it. But he took her up to Queen's Park, didn't he, on the lake. And then, there we are. The rest is history, I won't go into it. They were married for several years, had five kids, and so obviously the whole plan worked out. But you know, he never actually, the, the question I was asking her in the car this morning, I said, so did he actually ever ask you out? You know, kind of, will you go out with me or whatever? Or, you know, is there something going on here? No. It was assumption. Assumption. And sometimes we assume of God Sometimes we assume, maybe like the man at the pool of Bethesda, that God is going to come into our situation. But sometimes we need to ask and we need to come flat out and we need to come to him and say, God, will you answer my question? And God answers when we ask, when we ask through his word. Can I encourage you, if you're looking for answers, don't look to the skies. Get into God's word. God answers you through his word. I lose count of the number of occasions that whether randomly through Word for Today or through stuff, how God uses Twitter, it's unbelievable, isn't it? How God uses Facebook sometimes, that different people put different things on. The stuff that has spoken into my life at opportune occasions is amazing. But there has been nothing, church, that has spoken into my life like the systematic devotional life when I am reading through the scriptures in an organized way, and it's amazing how God knew I was going to hit that psalm on that day at that time, or that I was going to hit that epistle at that day at that time, and it answers the fundamental questions quite often that we have of God. We need to get into his word if we want answers. Secondly, we need to get a church if we want answers. Some of you are getting your very answers today through this word. You come to church with answers, and what does God do? Before you knew it, two years ago, I was writing this message. That God knew that Luke was going to be speaking last week under divine anointing of the Holy Spirit and bring that message. And the Holy Spirit says to me, preach this message next Sunday. And it all happens. You're not here by accident. You're not listening to this word right now by pure coincidence. You are here at God's appointed time. And if you're listening online right now, this podcast might be two or three years old by the time you're listening to it. Because I am preaching it here on the 17th of September 2017. I tell you by the power of God that it's the divine word of God that never returns to him void and comes to us at the time when we need to hear it. Will you ask him? 
Will you ask him? He asks when we turn to his word. He asks when we have the intentionality of getting to church and saying, God, will you touch me at my point of need today through worship, through communion this morning, through everything that's said and done. God, as I make myself available to you, you come and answer me at my point of need. And secondly, two quick um, points to first. So the first thing is that we just ask. Just petition him. Don't take no from an answer. Ask, keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock until the door smashed down. Don't take no for an answer. Because sometimes, as we all know, most times, the journey is more important than the destination. It's in our asking that God builds our character. For we know, as the Bible teaches us, suffering builds perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. There's a sequence to it that the stuff that we go through in life is designed to make us stronger. Ask questions, number one. Number two, ask for healing. Ask for healing. Most of the asks that are in the New Testament that we read of in the Gospels are for healing. There are even some people like the man of Gadara that aren't in a position mentally or demonically or spiritually to be even able to ask. And Jesus sets him free. Do we need to be set free sometimes? Emotional pain. Physical pain. Spiritual pain. All kinds of pain and suffering that we go through. We ask God who is our divine physician... God, will you come and heal us? Heal my mind. Heal my spirit. Heal my body. Are you asking him? Are you asking him? Because so often we suffer in silence. We don't want to change. My Auntie Dillis was a remarkable character. I never knew where she came from. Auntie Dillis, great name. Auntie Dillis was always sick. Always going on about being sick. Whenever you'd meet her, I'd say, how are you, this, how are you Auntie Delis? Oh, I'm sick, I'm bad this week. i said, say, what's going on? And she did it. And even when you met her months after, and you say, how are you Auntie Delis? She says, oh, I was ill a couple of months ago. <laughs> Always defining herself by her sickness. Are we defining ourselves by sickness? Going on about Things that are happening in our lives, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, we suffer in silence. Listen, I'm not speaking against going to the doctor. Yes, go to the doctor, but ask God too. Ask God first. Some of you, if you jump up and down, you rattle so much with all the pills you take every day. Now, nothing wrong with that. I'm not speaking against it. But have you asked God? Have you asked God as you reach for that pill thing and say, God, why am I doing this every single day? I believe you can set me free. I can believe you can set me free from these conditions. So when I go to the doctor next week, he says, well, something's happened to you. You don't need to be on that, 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 and that anymore because we just asked. Paul asked God, didn't he? He asked God without quitting. Paul the Apostle, his thorn in the flesh. We don't know quite what that is maybe it's his eyesight etc but he asked the men of God and the women of God asks let us be people that ask for healing too so first of all ask questions first of all ask for healing and thirdly the best thing we can ask for do you know what the best thing we can ask for is this I believe the best thing we can ask for is wisdom 
wisdom. The pattern is laid out for us in the life of Solomon, who could ask for all the riches in the world, but asked for wisdom. And James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, encourages us in James chapter 5, verse 1 to 5, and I finish with this. He says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all. Does he give sparingly? He gives generously to all. Does he give to the few? No. Ask for wisdom. He gives generously to all without finding fault and, we give be, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. If you don't ask, you don't get. I remember being at the garage changing my car some months ago, and I think Barry was with me. Uh, yes, Barry came, came down, and he said to me, he says, whoa, you were negotiating hard at the end there, he said to me. Well, I'm sorry, I like a deal. I work very, very hard for every penny that I have to earn, do you? Do you work hard for it? And so if there's a chance to ask for a discount, I do, and I've got no problem in asking for it. When we're at the jewelers, sometimes Ruth says, right, I've selected what I want. I'm going to scoot out the door. How many of you like to ask for a discount? Just me. <laughs> but I can tell you, church, if you don't ask, you don't get. So the salesman turned round to me, and very much like Luke and I did. His word was to Luke in Leeds. What was the university's reply? No. And the salesman at the garage turned round to me when I asked for a discount on the car, and he said, no. And I said, look, I really love this car. I said, I have never paid in my life the sale price that's on a window for a car ever. It's something that's wired into me. I think it comes from my father that probably has cardiganshire blood in him. Will you give me just something off the car in order that I can feel that I've won a moral victory in leaving here today? And you know what he said to me? He says, oh, go on then. I'll knock you 250 quid off the car. If you don't ask, you don't get. Can I ask you today in all seriousness? We're not coming to any car salesman as the worship team Come right now, and as we close in prayer, God's no car salesman. He is one who gives generously if we ask according to his will. Will you ask him? Ask him today. Ask him now. Because he promises. In the best sermon that was ever preached in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if we ask, we will receive if we seek, we will find. And if we knock, it will be opened unto us. God, I pray that you'd help us understand how generous you are. That you want to answer our prayers if we will just but come and ask. Amen. So we thank Pastor Phil for the word this morning. You know, James... James 4 verse 3 says, and the reason you don't have what you want is that you don't ask God for it. Pretty simple, isn't it? 
pretty simple. And you know, like Philip said with the car salesman, he didn't know he was going to get the £250 off. But we can stand in faith this morning, can't we? And know that when we ask, we will receive. And the song we're going to sing now, part of it says, He who holds the stars, who calls them each by name, will surely keep his promise to you. And we will rise in his victory. So we're going to stand and sing this song to close. And then Martin is going to bring the prayer requests um, forward and, and run through those and pray with them for the, the prayer requests and dismiss us in prayer. But church, let's have a week where we ask. Let's have a, cheek, a week where we believe. And let's have a week where we come back next week and the praise reports will just be flooding out of the box. Yeah? In Jesus' name. Amen. Then he said he'd reveal what's to come. The thoughts in his mind always higher than mine. He revealed all to come. Take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. In the wedding, hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds. He's never failing, he's never
This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 59 6000.